This podcast is brought to you by New Hope Baptist Church. For more information, visit the website newhope.net.au or follow us on social media. This week as Victoria has moved deeper into more restrictions. Like many people I've spoken with, I've noticed that I've been up and down. But honestly, there's been more down than up. As the reality of what we're facing settles into my brain and my body and my spirit in a new way. I've been thrown back to wondering how best to navigate in the midst of a pandemic with no end in sight. How do we navigate the unique pressures of this moment that's impacting across our community in different but devastating ways and will do for many years to come? What does faithfully following Jesus look like in this moment. I keep thinking about a book called Man's Search for Meaning. It's the memoir of Viktor Frankl, the Austrian neurologist, psychiatrist and Holocaust survivor, who tells of his life in Nazi death camps and the lessons he learnt there about spiritual survival in a time of deep suffering. Frankl wrote, everything can be taken from a person but one thing the last of human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. To choose one's own way. In those moments when a sense of anxiety or grief or despair washes over me, without denying the reality of those feelings or the circumstances that give rise to them, I'm trying to remember that in the midst of it all, I retain the freedom to choose how to respond. This freedom to choose my own way is at the heart of the birthright of every human being. It's a gift from God who has chosen because God loves us to limit his own sovereignty by giving humans the freedom to choose. To choose the things that bring life or not. To choose the God who brings life or not. And for those of us who have chosen to put our trust in God and who seek to make the way of Jesus our own way, what remains for us on the other side of those momentous life-altering choices is the question of faithfulness. Having said our yes to God, how do we live in alignment with this yes? How do we be true to the choices we have made, to the way that we've chosen? Will we be faithful, especially in moments of suffering and strain? Last week, Alan told us the story of the Transfiguration, the famous gathering on top of the mountain by the mountain men of God, Moses and Elijah, as they met with Jesus, Peter, James and John on yet another high peak and experienced the wonder of God speaking to them from a cloud as he said, this is my son who I love. Listen to him. It must have been a lot, I reckon, for Peter, James and John to take in. They'd seen Jesus, this builder from Nowheresville, do amazing things. They'd listened to him as he told these strange but exciting stories about the kingdom of God. So they kind of had a sense that this guy was special but they were having trouble working out exactly who he was. 
So this experience of meeting God on a mountaintop and finding out that the bloke you'd been hanging out with turns out to be the son of God must have blown their minds. As they came down the mountain from the mountaintop experience and met up with the rest of the disciples, they come crashing back to reality. Instead of the glory of the mountaintop unleashing an avalanche of powerful ministry, they stumble down the mountain into a valley of failed ministry and powerlessness, where questions of faithfulness are front and centre. Let's listen as we hear from Mark's Gospel. Mark chapter 9 from verse 14. When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. When the whole crowd saw him, they were immediately overcome with awe and they ran forward to greet him. He asked them, what are you arguing about with them? Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. And whenever it seizes him, it dashes him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do so. He answered them, You faithless generation, How much longer must I be among you? How much longer must I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you're able to do anything, have pity on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you're able, all things can be done for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out, I believe. Help my unbelief. Well, everyone is there. The supporters of Jesus, the opponents of Jesus, the undecided and unconvinced. And of course, the rest of the nine disciples are there, hanging their heads in defeat and disgrace. A distraught father had brought his son to them, hoping that he might be healed. And while Jesus, Peter, James and John were up the mountain, the remaining disciples have taken up the challenge and tried to cast out an evil spirit, but they failed. And in the midst of their failure, they get embroiled in a futile argument with the leaders and the teachers of the law. While we don't know the details, I reckon you can imagine how the argument went. For the teachers of the law, this was a golden opportunity to heap scorn on the disciples and to revel in their defeat. I imagine them turning to the crowds and sneering, see everything you've heard about Jesus and his followers is fake news. What a bunch of powerless buffoons these guys really are. You should take them, they should go back to their fishing nets where they belong. And the disciples chest out reply, well, you should have seen what we did yesterday. We cast out loads of spirits and that's more than you religious windbags have ever done. 
crowds leaving the argument behind see Jesus and they run towards him where they were overwhelmed with wonder, which is pretty strange because Jesus hadn't done anything yet. Jesus asks the disciples what they were arguing about and the disciples, shame-faced and humiliated, stand there silent. It's the boy's father who calls out from the middle of the crowd and explains to Jesus what happened. Teacher, he says, I bought you my son who's possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they couldn't do it. At this point, Jesus' frustration boils over. He says, you faithless generation, how much longer have I got to put up with you? Notice Jesus' analysis of the problem. The problem is that they're faithless. Well, who exactly is faithless? According to Jesus, everyone, the disciples, the father, the crowd, the the teachers of the law, the whole generation. Clearly, Jesus is having one of those glass half empty kind of a days. And unfortunately, the father pours some more oil on the fire. He says to Jesus, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. At this point, it's like Jesus goes a little bit nuclear and he says, if, if, if you can, let me set you straight on a few things here, mister. Everything, you got that? Everything is possible for those who believe. So don't you talk to me about if. The father responds, desperate for help. I do believe. Help me with my unbelief. I believe. Help me with my unbelief. Earlier on in life, I mistakenly thought that faith was an all or nothing proposition, that you either had it or you didn't. Because I thought having faith meant you ended up in a kind of transaction with God where in exchange for my faith in God, for my believing in him, I was now entitled to God's goodie bag of unlimited forgiveness, grace and ultimately a nice waterfront apartment in heaven. But that's not the picture of faith we find in the New Testament. The picture we see in the Gospels is of the disciples gradually developing faith. It's a slow and at times painful process and it takes time. Jesus asks four times in Mark's Gospel who they think he is And each of the disciples' response shows that despite having left everything to follow him, they don't actually know who he is, which means they don't fully understand who they've put their trust in. They believe, but they need some help with their unbelief. And isn't that just like us? I mean, did I fully understand the God who I chose to put my trust in? when I went down into the waters of baptism several decades ago? Well, no. And do I think I've reached a full and complete understanding of, who, of the God in whom I trust today, right now? I mean, is my faith complete? Well, of, of course not. I believe and I'm counting on God to help me with my unbelief, to continue to reveal himself to me. Because faith is not a noun. It's not a possession or a destination. As many of you know, the word faith in the New Testament is most often a verb, faith-ing. 
faithing is a dynamic, continuous action that emerges in response to a life lived with God. And if faith is a continuous response to God, and we're continually in the process of believing, faithing is ongoing. Faithing is never quite complete. Which is why belief and unbelief exist together. They may exist in different proportions over time, but as followers of Jesus, we are always in the process of coming to a deeper level of faith. And we see the disciples continually failing to understand this. They think that because they left everything to follow Jesus, because they got picked for the team, that they've arrived and that this is the end of the faith story that while they can, that's why they can just kind of sit there and argue about who's the greatest and squabble about which one's going to sit on Jesus' left and which one's going to sit on his right. I mean, just look at Peter. Peter's so secure in his faith, so certain he doesn't have a drop of unbelief in him, that he tells Jesus twice that he will never desert him, even if it costs him his life. And we know how that turned out, don't we? I mean, Peter's resolve couldn't even stand up to the questioning of a servant girl. And surprise, surprise, on the night Jesus was arrested, before the cock crowed, Peter had denied Jesus three times. How fragile is the faith of those that are confident they can stand in their own strength? And standing in their own strength is exactly what the disciples were doing as they tried to heal this little boy. The disciples had been given the authority to cast out demons by Jesus, and we even read in chapter 6 that they were really quite successful at it. So when the father and his tormented son approached them for help, I'm sure they were keen. I'm also sure they were confident that just like the other times they'd successfully cast out spirits, they'd be successful this time too. But they weren't, and they fail in such a public way in front of so many people. I mean, I really feel for them. It must have been demoralizing. And to add insult to injury, Jesus just comes along and without any fanfare, he just rebukes the spirit and commands it to come out of the boy and it it does. Such is the difference between the teacher and the disciples. After everyone has gone in the privacy of a house and They lick their wounds and the disciples turn to Jesus. They ask him, why? Why couldn't we drive it out? And Jesus says, this kind can only come out through prayer. At this point, we can sagely shake our heads and stroke our chins and say, those terrible disciples, they forgot to pray. But just wait a second. Go back and read the text again. In verse 25, Jesus didn't pray for the spirit to come out. He just commanded it to come out. So what does he mean when he says this kind can only come out by prayer if he himself didn't pray over the boy? Well, the problem the disciples were having wasn't one of technique. It's not that they didn't say the right words. It wasn't because they hadn't logged enough hours on their knees. It's something more basic than that. The disciples didn't understand that God's grace is not given to them so they can exercise their ministry independently. 
Jesus isn't selling franchises in the kingdom of God. The power to cast out spirits and heal the sick doesn't reside within them. They're disciples, apprentices and followers. And as such, it's only as they recognise their dependence on God that they'll be able to carry out the ministry that God has given to them. In saying this kind can only come out by prayer, Jesus is saying, as disciples, you'll face difficult circumstances and the power you have to overcome these circumstances in and of yourself is not enough. But when you recognise that everything you have and everything you are comes from God, when you continually come before God and receive his grace, when faithing is as natural as breathing, then, as Jesus said, everything is possible for the one who believes. To pray is to have faith. When we pray, we place our small hands into God's much larger hands and we ask him to do what we by ourselves are simply unable to do, unable to be. Every morning is a new struggle to find a way through our unbelief, through our fickleness, our arrogance, our confusion, our anxiety, our uncertainty, in order to place ourselves and our lives into the hands of God. Every morning we must pray the same prayer. I believe, dear Lord, help me with my unbelief. When we lived in Canberra, we used to drive out to Tidbin Billa on a Sunday afternoon. Tidbin Billa is a deep space communication centre with this huge radio telescope 70 metres in diameter. This massive dish slowly moves on its axis as it follows the stars across the night sky. The basic purpose of the dish is to send and to receive radio waves from space. I see some parallels between the human heart and this huge radio telescope. Like a radio telescope, our human hearts are all scanning the night sky, searching for meaning, looking for answers to life's big questions, seeking God. And when we come into a relationship with God, we sometimes fall into the trap of thinking that what matters is what we can transmit, what we can send out, as if our belief and our faith in God are like radio waves pulsing through into deep space. So we focus on what we need to do to build up the power of our transmitter so we can increase the strength of our faith's signal in the hope that God, who's out there somewhere, will pick up the signal and recognise it's us and come and save us. The problem with this perspective of faith in God is that it's all about us. It's about what we can do in our own strength. Instead of a picture of faith as a powerful transmitter, I'd like to invite you to see that God has fashioned the shape of the human heart to be a perfect receiver a receiver of the light that brings life, a receiver of God's love, of God's grace and mercy, of God's hope and peace. God has created a universe full of stars and each of these stars emits light 
As John says at the beginning of his gospel, Jesus is the light that brings life. It's no accident that we live in a universe with billions and billions of stars all radiating light. God's light, the light that brings life, is literally raining down on us. It's travelling towards us from every corner of the universe. The universe is like God's very own light box, transmitting light and life, overcoming the darkness every second of every day that ever was or will be. It's through the technology of telescopes like the one at Tidbinbilla that we're able to see for the first time the beauty of far-flung stars shaped into extraordinary galaxies. It's through telescopes that we literally are able to receive the light. I don't really know a lot about radio telescopes, but I know that the bigger the dish, the deeper it can look into space, the more light from stars it can see, the more light it can receive. See, God isn't interested in how powerful your transmitter is. He's interested in how wide and long and deep your receiver is, so you might know his love. So that instead of the false gospel of believe and you'll receive, you might know the true gospel of receive and you will believe. See, in the case of faith, the receiving comes first, before the believing. Before we were born, Scripture says, God knew us and God loved us. Before we turned towards God, God had first turned his face towards us. Before we'd even recognised our need for salvation, God had sent us his only son. Faithing is our response to what we've received from God. And the more we receive of God's grace, the more we will believe. And that's why in Ephesians, Paul says, For it is by grace you have been saved by faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God so that no one can boast. So as you face all that is to come in the next few weeks, may you know that God is sending billions of glowing, grace-filled signals in your direction, even in the midst of suffering and strain. And that like the dish of a telescope, I hope you might be able to receive this light that brings life. And in doing so, you might believe and trust that God will help you with your unbelief. Amen.